coffee. We have coffee after the service, so you can continue those discussions. And uh, we now have two coffee pots. So, yes. You can thank Katerina for that. That was her smart thinking. All right. <laughs> so, um, I'm excited because we're going to, it's always fun at the start of a new sermon series um, because, you know, when we begin a new message, a series of messages, I always feel like the Lord is uh, beginning a new work. Uh, and so we're going to take actually the next two years, probably, <laughs> not to go through Jonah, but <laughs> to go through all the minor prophets. Uh, so we're, we're really going to spend a lot of time uh, on these books. There's 12 of them. Um, and we'll have some breaks in between. Don't worry. We'll get a little New Testament in there occasionally. Uh, but... I really believe the Lord is calling us to sit and meditate on this section of, the, of Scripture. Um, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But the, there's 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. And they're called minor only because of the length of the book, not because of the weight of the content within. Yeah, So um, they're considerably shorter than like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah. And... Like I said, they're not minor uh, in impact, but they are in length. And that's why they're called the Minor Prophets. But the reason I wanted to sit on this is that all these prophetic books were written between the times of about 800 to 400 before Christ. Um, where Israel was in a season of abandoning God. And most of these books deal with that time period leading up to the exile uh, and a few even cover immediately following the exile. And the reason I believe the Lord has put these specific prophetic books on my heart as your shepherd, as your pastor for this season is because I believe we find ourselves in a similar context historically. It's obvious that we're, we're living in a time of Western, uh, at the end of Western global dominance, there are socioeconomic global shifts of power that are happening right before our eyes. But more poignantly than that, the spiritual state of Western civilization is very similar to Israel during the time of the minor prophets. Just like Israel had abandoned the Lord and, begun, and begun, began to become more and more pagan, and more and more immoral in this period, we find the same shift happening in our own post-Christian societies here in Western Europe, uh, Great Britain, North America. And so the warnings within these prophetic books are, are really directly transferable and relevant for us today. And these books do contain strong warnings. It's a lot of doom and gloom about what happens when a nation and when a society or a people reject God and, and turn to their own ways and abandon the Lord. And we ought to sit up and take notice and take note and learn from these warnings. But as always, uh, throughout the narrative of Scripture, within these prophecies contain gracious words of redemption and salvation, and restoration from a kind and merciful God who is using these prophets to reach out to his children and bring good news of grace and gospel hope to the people of God. And so we're going to walk through these books chronologically, beginning with the first and oldest of these books, which is Jonah. 
Most of you know Jonah from Sunday school. It's a very familiar book because of the simplicity and, and rather engaging narrative. And it's an entertaining episode of a prophet who has lost his way. And it's okay to chuckle at parts uh, of the story. Most scholars agree that Jonah is written in the form of satire, you know, much like the Babylonian Bee or the Onion websites, that it's meant to be, uh, get you thinking and meant to be ironic. When God says, go here and Jonah goes there, that's satire, right? Now, it's a true story, but the way the story is retold is meant to make us think, it asks open questions, and yes, it even is made to make us laugh. And so as we reflect on Jonah and how he responds when the Lord speaks to him, it is good for us to prepare our hearts. So let's stand together and sing, uh, speak, O Lord, and Matt will uh, lead us in that. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth planted deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our rise to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail, let the truth prevail over O Lord, and renew our minds, let us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace will stand on your promises, and by faith will walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is. 
Remain standing as I pray for us. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we open up your word and hear from you. We pray that your spirit might speak to our hearts, might uh, challenge our consciences, um, and uh, speak into our convictions, dear Lord. I pray that you would do your work as only you can through your spirit and the exposition of your word. Lord, may you be glorified and present in this activity that we are engaged in right now. Open up our hearts and ears to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Matt. So we're going to dive right into Jonah, and we're going to look at the first three verses, Jonah 1 to 3, and also give a little bit of an intro to this wonderful book. So Jonah 1, 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord, the word of the Lord. So it's February 2023, and you find yourself here in Frankfurt, Germany. Some of you may have planned this. Some of you may find yourself very surprised to be here. And some of you, have, we've heard from the kids, have been here your whole life. So why has the Lord brought you here right now at this time to this place. What is your mission here in Frankfurt? What is your kingdom purpose? Do you know what it is that the Lord has brought you here for? When Christ created the church, he gave the church a clear mission and a purpose. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's the purpose of the church. That's why we exist, to be a disciple-making community. And I believe that the church as we know it in our contemporary context has lost its way. If we look at the trends in church attendance and conversions and biblical literacy today in Europe and the relevance of the church in the, in the life of the average European citizen, we'll find that the church has not lived up to its calling. And we're witnessing a church that's lost its mission, it's lost its way, it's lost its message, and it's not living up to its mission. Therefore, we're witnessing the slow death of the church as we know it throughout Europe. The church here in Europe is, is so accommodated its mission and message to the surrounding culture that it has literally stopped to be relevant. It, it, it's not challenging culture, it's just echoing it. And so the church has either abandoned its belief in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture and exchanged it for the authority of secular public opinion. And so as goes society, so goes the church. Or, in contrast, what little peaks of hope you do see in the church, you see that it's taken 100% on board the materialistic priorities of our culture and made the gospel all about material wealth, physical health, worldly success, offering emotional highs without the capacity to deal with the real-life lows of living in a fallen world. And as a result, you have a dying church here in Europe. And I believe ICF 
has a decision to make. This year and every year afresh, will we live up to our calling? And ICF is nothing more than the collection of the individuals sitting here in this room right now. And so we all need to ask ourselves this question, am I going to live up the calling to be a disciple maker? The vision of our church is that everyone is growing and leading others towards maturity in Christ. How are you living out that vision in your own life? Do you know why the Lord has brought you here at this time uh, and at this place? And the reason I begin this message with this question is because this is the question the entire book of Jonah is addressing. Israel had lost its way. Israel had abandoned its vocation to be a blessing to the world, to be a light to the Gentiles. And Israel took their status as God's chosen people for granted, giving God mere lip service through empty religious activities. But in actual reality, their hearts were far from God, and they were bent on pursuing their own desires, seeking their own comfort, and living for their own glory. They were beginning to worship other gods. They were financially corrupt, allowing the wealthy to suppress the poor and the powerless. And immorality was beginning to be celebrated by the religious elite. And Jonah, the prophet, is really a picture for the spiritual state of Israel. As we go through this book, you'll see he's, he's not a hero. He's an anti-hero. He's probably one of the most reluctant prophets that we meet in Scripture. And as we see throughout this story, he's not a great man of faith. He's a picture of a backsliding believer. He's the prodigal son and at the same time the elder brother. Jonah is a picture of Israel's empty religion. Israel had a calling to be a light to the nations. Israel had a mission to live lives that are holy and set apart. And Israel had a message that the creator God alone is to be worshiped. He alone is Lord. And just like Israel, Jonah had a calling. He had a mission and he had a message. And just like Israel, he abandoned his post and ran away from the presence of the Lord. So as we walk through these three verses together, we'll, we'll just see Jonah had a calling. Jonah had a mission and a message, and then we'll see what Jonah's reaction was. So let's just begin in verse 1, the fact that Jonah had a clear calling. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. <laughs> no background information needed. It's not given to us about who Jonah is, which means the audience knew exactly who Jonah was. He needed no introduction. Jonah was a well-known prophet in his day. He was a strong, nationalistic, and patriotic prophet who aligned with the northern king of Judah. And we first hear about Jonah in 2 Kings 14.25. Jonah was a real historical figure in Israel around 800 BC, and he was one of Israel's prophets. And we read this, and he, so this was speaking of King Amaziah of Judah, was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Libo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of the guy I can't name, pronounce, Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hepfer. And so Jonah is known 
in Israel's historical records as a nationalistic prophet. It was under his prophetic ministry that Israel's northern kingdom expanded its borders. And it's interesting to note that Jonah was pro-royalty, okay? Well, two of his contemporary prophets, Hosea and Amos, were denouncing the kings of Judah. Jonah was holding their hand. And so the book begins with the typical prophetical calling, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So whenever we find this phrase in the Old Testament, we find it in the context of of prophecy. And so Jonah's calling was to be a prophet of the Lord, which means he was to be God's mouthpiece. That was what the prophetic office was all about, communicating God's message to whomever and wherever God sends you. That's why in the New Testament church, we're all prophetic. We're all prophets called to proclaim the gospel to everyone and everywhere. And so that that was a prophetic office to be God's mouthpiece, communicating God's message to whomever and wherever God sends you. Thus saith the Lord. Jonah was a prophet of God. That was his calling. And Jonah's refusal to live up to his calling was a challenge to Israel who had also failed to live up to her calling, a light to the Gentiles. And next we read that Jonah was given a mission. Look at verse 2, a mission and a message. Arise, go to Nineveh. There's the mission. Here's the message. And that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so here we read about the mission and the message God gives to Jonah. Go to Nineveh, and he should preach this message of, of repentance, really. Now this is really a remarkable passage which gives us insight into the heart of God and, and his gospel. When, when God sent Jonah to Nineveh, God was sending grace and mercy as well. And this gives us deep insight into God's compassionate heart and love for all people. He saw the sin and the wickedness in Nineveh. And he saw that this city would be overcome by their own evil if they did not change their ways, if they did not repent. And so God sent Jonah to be a means of God's grace to Nineveh. Jonah was to be the vehicle of God's mercy and grace through the message of repentance and forgiveness. That was Jonah's mission, and that was his message. Go to Nineveh and offer them the grace and the mercy of God. So now, just a quick word on Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria, those were the arch enemies of Israel at that time. When, when Jonah would have been expanding the borders, it was uh, taking them away from the Assyrians. So you can imagine Jonah, uh, this nationalistic prophet aligned with the king of Judah, and as a nationalist who orchestrated the expansion of Israel's borders, the last people group he would want to go and serve would be who? The Assyrians, right? So where does God send Jonah? To the capital city of the Assyrians. Now that is satirical irony, if I've ever seen it. God sent Jonah to preach mercy and repentance to the people he most feared and most hated. And there was good reason to hate the Assyrians. They had done atrocious things to the Israelites, decimating entire towns. They were idolaters who worshiped Baal, And as God said, their wickedness had come up before the throne room of heaven. 
God's aware of their evil. He's aware of their dark hearts. Yet God wants to extend mercy and grace if they would repent from their wickedness. So here we see that Jonah has a calling. He's a prophet of the Lord God Most High. He has a mission. Go to Nineveh, the capital city of your enemies. And he has a message. Repent and receive the grace and mercy of God. Now in verse 3, we read Jonah's reaction to God's great you know, commission to him. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. If you really want to understand Jonah's story, you need to see Jonah as a laughable figure. The best way to illustrate it is to see what exactly he did. The irony of a prophet going the opposite way is even more clear when you see it on a map. Jonah go to Nineveh. Jonah says, nope, (laughs) and heads off in the other direction. Now, as comical as that is, there's a serious point being made here. Twice in this verse, what Jonah is willfully doing is fleeing from what? The presence of the Lord. Basically, Jonah thought he knew better. Jonah doubted God's justice. He, he doubted his goodness. He, he doubted the wisdom of this plan. And so Jonah refused to trust in God's word to him. And so he ran the opposite way. He did the opposite thing that God had told him to do. Jonah knew better. Jonah is a great book for contemporary Christianity. <laughs> Because we have our ways of ignoring God's word to us. When God tells us something in his word like Jonah, we do the exact opposite. We think we know better. We think that we know what's best for our lives. And so we conveniently ignore God's word to us. Some of you right now know what God wants you to do, but you're on the opposite path. On your way to Tarshish to flee the presence of the Lord. You know better, so you run from God. And we all have ways that we do this in our own lives, all of us. I do too. Whether it's an old sinful behavior or pattern in our lives to which we return, or just a blatant willful sin, or maybe it's putting your security and meaning in a a relationship or a person instead of the Lord. Or perhaps it's an inward disposition holding on to resentment and bitterness caused by the hurt and pain of someone. Like Jonah, we think we know better, and so we flee from the presence of the Lord. But it gets worse. Jonah just didn't have an outward problem with his assignment. He he had a problem with God. Later in chapter 4, it becomes, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but um, later in chapter 4, he complains to God and he explains exactly why he went the opposite direction. Not only did he not like his assignment, he didn't like, he had a problem with God. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why, or what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah had a problem with God. 
Jonah wanted Nineveh to suffer. He wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. But alas, God was too gracious for Jonah. What was Jonah's real problem here? Well, he was self-righteous, right? He, he didn't see his own sin. He saw the sin of the Assyrians. He saw the glaring sin of the Assyrians, but he failed to see his, his own sin. Jonah was asleep in his sin. Much like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, Jonah's childishly spurning the father's grace and mercy that was bestowed on the prodigal son. Jonah had a problem with God. And outwardly, Jonah is a rebel fleeing his mission. But inwardly, Jonah is self-righteously hating the message of God's kindness, love, grace, and mercy to his enemies. Dave Harvey, uh, author of a really good book on marriage called uh, When Sinners Say I Do, he writes this about the danger of self-righteousness in in a marriage. He said, self-righteousness is a sense of moral superiority that appoints us the prosecutor of other people's sinfulness. We relate to others as if we are incapable of the sins they commit. Self-righteousness wages war against mercy. Jonah is waging war against God's mercy. Self-righteousness is the idea that we are morally right and righteous in our own merits apart from God. And so we come to the conclusion that we are a good person. We are in right standing. We believe we deserve certain things from God, but it's a lie. There's no one who is right or righteous by his own doing. So a self-righteous person will be hypercritical of everyone's shortcomings and position themselves above others in their hearts. And so a self-righteous person denies the gospel as much as a wayward sinner does. J.C. Ryle, the English preacher of the 19th century, famously wrote, Beware of self-righteousness in every possible shape and form. Some people get as much harm from their virtues as others do from their sins. To give you a picture, a mental picture of what self-righteousness is, I want to give you an image from John Maxwell. He was kind of one of those leader, Christian leadership guys in, when I was like in the 80s, so a long time ago. Um, but I'll never forget this picture. He goes, imagine a grandpa visiting his grandchildren, and in the afternoon he takes a nap. Um, and one day the grandkids decide to play a joke and they put some Limburger cheese in his mustache. When he woke up, he started sniffing and saying, Phew, it stinks in here. Then he went into the next room and said, whoa, stinks in here too. Then he went outside to get some breath of fresh air and said, man, whew, the whole world stinks. And that's what self-righteousness person is like. They can sniff out the sins and shortcomings of everyone around them, and they think everyone stinks except for them, but they fail to realize the stink is on you. (laughs) And so Jonah didn't have a problem with his assignment, but he had a problem with God. He had a problem with God's mercy and his grace. Now remember, Jonah is a picture of the spiritual state of Israel, of empty religion, Religion which had a righteousness of its own apart from God. And this was the real problem in Israel. And I think this is the real problem in the church. 
Instead of living in a daily dependence of the Lord, instead of honoring the Lord in our hearts, instead of living for the Lord's glory, Israel began to have a righteousness of its own, apart from the Lord. They began to feel that God owed them things. And Israel became a, it became a religion based on past success, past faith. They began to trust in their own power, their own wealth, their, their own goodness, their own wisdom, as Jonah illustrates. And in Isaiah 65, 5, God declares the prophet, through the prophet Isaiah, that it's this type of people that are ripe for judgment. The Lord says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation, to Israel, that did not call on my name. I said, here I am, here I am. Here am I. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways that are not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me. Those who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. And God said, these are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. He's not happy with them. And Jesus said, it's people like this that are lukewarm and that he's going to spit out of his mouth. So the real cause behind lukewarm religion and lukewarm Christianity is not so much a lack of an effort or a lack of a desire to grow in the faith, but rather the real cause of lukewarm religion is a self-righteousness of a failing to see the log in our own eyes while happily pointing out the speck of dust in someone else's. It's a self-righteous heart that led Jonah to flee the opposite direction. And it's a self-righteous heart that has led our contemporary society to abandon God. If you go ask 100 Germans on the street where they think they're going to spend eternity, 99 will say that they're going to heaven because they're basically what? Good. That's self-righteousness apart from God. The only remedy for self-righteousness is to fully confront the deep-seated presence of sin and darkness in your heart, to confess that you are in need of God's mercy and grace just as much as your neighbor or your enemy. This was the essence behind Jonah's rebellious flight away from his calling and his mission and the message of grace he was to bring to his enemies. Do you remember what he told God? I knew that you're gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who would relent from sending calamity. Church, we also have a calling, a mission, and a message. We have a calling to be a disciple-making community where everyone is leading and growing others to maturity in Christ. We have a mission. Make disciples. Go baptize teach others to obey every command of Jesus. And we have the message. It's the same message that Jonah was sent to preach. Turn back to God, for he's gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. We can't fulfill our vision, our mission, and our message if we do not see the sin and rebellion in our own hearts. We can't call others to repent if we are not a repenting people. Unless our sin be bitter, the gospel will not be sweet. Jonah is a picture of empty religion 
having a form of godliness but denying its power. He had a righteousness apart from God and this led him to flee from the presence of God. And the only remedy for sinners and self-righteous is the cross of Christ. If we're going to be faithful to our calling, to our mission, to our message, then we need to daily come back to the cross. John Stott writes, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I'm here because of you. It's your sin I'm bearing. It's your curse I'm suffering. Your debt I'm paying. Your death I'm dying. Nothing in history or the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness. Until we have visited a place called Calvary. It's here at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. And if we want to be a faithful church, a faithful people, then we have to be quick to repent not only of our sin and rebellion, but also our pride and our self-sufficiency and our self-righteous spirit. So let's be a people that are daily looking to the cross and to Jesus, our Savior, because unlike Jonah, Jesus didn't flee from his mission, but he accepted it. When God said, go to the sinful, rebellious, wicked people, go and save these self-righteous enemies, Jesus went. Jesus didn't only go, but he also willingly became an, a sin offering, taking our sin upon his shoulders and experienced the wrath and judgment of God, which we deserved. And in return, Jesus gave us his righteousness his goodness, his right standing with the Father so that we might be called sons and daughters of God. Amen. The cross brings us to our knees and at the very same time, it lifts us up. So if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that this very morning, he wants to show you the kindness of God. Jesus wants to bring you to God and let you taste and see that life with God is more satisfying and more fulfilling than anything you can ever hope for in this world. Though your sins and shortcomings be many, Jesus has taken those upon his shoulders. And even though you have a rebellious heart that you might be running from God, he's running after you. He died for you so that you can live with him forever. So come this very morning to Jesus and he will come near to you. That's a promise. Now for those of us that already know this good news and have received this message into our hearts through faith, how, how can you apply this message? Well, I'd love to give you a list of things to do and ask you if you're being a Jonah or you're being a Jesus. But alas, if I did that, I'd just give you more reasons to be self-righteous. So I can only urge you to examine the attitude of your heart, to ask yourself practically, functionally, are you running towards Nineveh or the opposite way to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord? What's the basis? Examine your heart, right? And what's the basis for your right standing with God this morning? Is it your performance? Is it your spiritual zeal? Is it your good deeds? Is it your accomplishments? Is it your, your good efforts? Is it your past decision to be baptized or, or make a decision for Christ? 
If this is your attitude, then of course you'll not be living up to your calling. You'll be wallowing in self-pity and anger and resentful towards others. But if your attitude is that salvation is unmerited grace, if your attitude is a daily dependent spirit where we fall before the Lord needy and hungry in such a posture that only he can lift us up through his power and his great love and compassion that we would need for this day. If we come before God in that way, then of course we're going to be running towards Nineveh and laying down our lives for those that are lost and hurting in their sin all around us. Church, God has placed you here in Frankfurt, Germany, February 2023, for a reason and a purpose. You have a calling, you have a mission, and you have a message. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for prophets like Jonah, um, who you still chose to love and use. And Lord, we know that all of us have played the Jonah in, in our own lives. Uh, we've run the opposite way. But Lord, we're thankful that your grace is new every morning and that you have never turned away a repentant sinner. And so I pray, dear Lord, that you would do a new work of grace in our congregation.